Lord, we thank you that there is grace awaiting all who call upon your name. We thank you that we have been washed and redeemed by your blood. And I pray, Lord, as your word is open this morning, may you continue to do a mighty work in us. Revive us, I pray. Soften our hearts and increase our love for you and passion for you, Lord. Lord, we want to thank you for your goodness and for your purposes. And we thank you for your, all your acts, mighty, wonderful acts and promises. And we pray, Lord, as we continue to look into your word and your purposes for singing in the church, your word would inform and inspire a fresh understanding of worship for church, our hearts, and singing. Ultimately, we want to see your purposes fulfilled in this place so that lives would be transformed for your glory. Amen. Amen. So, yeah, like I said earlier, um, this morning we're going to continue to, um, yeah, continue our journey at looking at the God's purposes for singing in the church. And I, I really want to unpack this a little bit further this morning. And, and by that, we're going to look through the songs of Scripture to help stir our hearts into the importance and outright joy of singing together. So if you'd like to open your Bibles to Ephesians 5, and we're going to start from uh, verse... 15. So it says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as the unwise, but as wise, making best use of your time because the days are evil. Do not be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out reverence for Christ. Amen. So God has created us to be a singing people. It is what we are made for. And when we do, we're simply joining in with what the rest of creation is doing. We are all singers, not sinners, which we are, but <laughs> singers. Um, and, you know, we may not all be good, but we are created to be singers nonetheless. And the psalmist in Psalm 139, verse 13 and 14, sings, For you created me in my inmost being. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. To sing is written in our DNA. It is part of God's design. And throughout scripture and throughout history, we see God's people using the gift of song to praise him who is the giver of it. Your ability to sing 
he's fearfully and wonderfully made. And yeah, so as you know, uh, me and Sarah are expecting our first child uh, pretty much any time soon <laughs> in the next few weeks. But I've been really excited uh, as a first time dad. And um, yeah, I'm sure of those who have been able to experience that, you want to know what is happening every step of the way, even from the earliest stages. And every morning I've got like, I've got an app on my phone and it tells me how the baby is developing or what's supposed to take part during that day. And I'm like, I'm, I'm flipping amazed, uh, especially in the first couple of weeks. You're like, wow, how on earth does that happen? God is good. And, um, and around the 12 week mark, um, the vocal cords of the baby in the w- growing in the room are in place and has been shown to work long before the baby is born. How incredible. And the truth is, we may all sound different, but each of us have the same vocal apparatus. You know, not only have we got these vocal cords, but, you know, God has created our minds to think through concepts we sing, to engage the intellect, imagination, and memory. God has formed our hearts to be moved with the depths of feeling and a range of emotions as the melody carries truth of who God is and who we are sinks in. You know, since we uh, started this journey, I've had a couple of people uh, come up to me and say, it's okay for you, James, but I can't sing. But the truth is that God has designed you to sing and has given you everything you need as well as he wants you to. You know, he's less far concerned with your tunefulness. You know, Christian singing begins with the heart, not the lips, as outlined in Ephesians 5, 19. Address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. We looked at this last time, but God cares more about whether and what you sing than how well you sing. Ultimately, we are created to sing because it leads us joyfully to the creator of of the heavens and earth. And a guy called Paul Tripp writes, God is the ultimate musician. His music transforms life. The notes of redemption rearranges your heart and restores your life. The songs of forgiveness, grace, reconciliation, truth, hope and sovereignty and love gives you back your humanity and restores your identity. Don't simply sing primarily because you love to or don't sing, or sorry, or don't quit quiet because you don't like singing, but sing because you love the one who made you and formed you and enables you to sing. We sing because we are a people who are commanded by God to sing. It is what we are told to do. You know, to simply not sing is to simply disobey God. God's commands are not arbitrary. They are always for the good of his people. Just as we are told to study scripture, to pray, to give, to take communion, everything we have done this morning together, we are commanded to sing with the saints 
because we need to sing. Our spiritual health depends on it. We are commanded in Psalm 149 verse 1 to sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in assembly of the saints. Repeatedly throughout scripture, we are commanded to be a singing people. I mentioned this last time, but there's more than 400 references to singing in the Bible and at least 50 direct commands. You know, we are not to disregard this command because we don't like the music or the personnel or we're simply not in the mood. The command in this psalm contains no caveats or no conditions and we as a leadership will continue to facilitate congregational singing so that we can all honour the Lord in this together and it will remain a high priority of this church. The command is not only to sing by ourselves but out loud as part of the assembly of the saints that is in the company of other believers. It is not metaphorical or optional or a seasonal suggestion but a clear directive from our God to sing as a regular part of our worship life, especially with other believers. We are not to think of it as just the singing, something we can skip over or arrive late to, but something we are to take seriously, to value and to set time aside for. It may sound like an obvious statement, but in the assembly, each of us will not be the majority. That means we're going to have to sing songs that you may not have chosen because they're not your favourites. We're going to have to be willing to lay down our own tastes for the good of the wider assembly. And probably throughout my year, probably 10 years of leading congregational singing, it's probably one of the greatest lessons that I've had to learn throughout the years. It is not only important that we sing, but what we sing. And I mentioned this last time again, but it's worth repeating. In his letters to the uh, Colossian church, Paul writes, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and abolishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. One of the ways of the word of Jesus to dwell in us richly is for us to sing to one another. We are commanded to sing the word of God. Fundamentally, we're to sing about God revealed in Christ, his suffering and his glory, since that's what the word of God is all about. You know, the disposition of our hearts is not a begrudging, I will, I, I will sing because I must, but rather with thankfulness in our hearts to God, I will sing because he is marvellous. Thankfulness is more than just saying the words with our lips. The root of thankfulness is the gratitude in our hearts for the unmerited benefits of God's goodness in our lives. This root blossoms into good, positive 
and a loving attitude towards the call to sing from God. How we sing does reveal how we think and feel about something. And I'm pretty sure most of us will sing with some grit the national anthem whenever we're called to sing it. Or if you've ever been to a sport that you're really into and the, your favourite team is playing on the, uh, is playing and, the, and you just getting, you're rooting behind them, you know, you're going to sing with some grit to cheer them on. Or it might be simply at a loved one's birthday party. You're going to sing happy birthday with all of your might, no matter how tuneful it may come out. So why is it different when we come to church? to sing God's praises. Our individual personalities make up, join together to make up the collective personality. Our individual grateful hearts come together as a church. So as we obey the command to sing, we are unleashing a congregational sound of conviction, whether there's a dozen of us or a thousand of us. And to put bluntly, if we ain't doing this, then our children and any visitors that may come to visit, look on, have every right to wonder if what we're singing is truly important to us. In a sense, our singing betrays the truth about us. And Jesus himself obeyed the command to sing. And... One of my favourite verses uh, comes just after the retelling of the Last Supper on the night before he died for us in Matthew 26. After Jesus told his disciples to drink the cup as a sign of his blood and poured out the forgiveness of our sins, Matthew adds, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. It's probably one of the verses, overlooked verses in the Bible. And many people have asked me, did Jesus sing? But as Jesus is about to face the most brutal death, he sings. In the high and depths of his passion, Jesus sang and imagines Jesus singing with his followers a few hours before the agony of the cross is an incredible and humbling thought. Even as he approached the darkest hours, our Saviour was singing and leading these men in song. Even on the cross itself, Jesus quotes from a song, a psalm, that he would have known growing up. The song would have trained him and to, uh, trained him in as a child, sustained him, and we might say it shaped him through the most agonizing moment of suffering. My God, my God, why have you forsaken him? Just let that sink in for a moment. How could we ever think we could be so passive about singing? As we digest the words set in song and respond with thankfulness in our hearts to God, we are guided into his 
path of peace. And that peace is in him. Singing as all our outward expressions of our worship will never save us, but will help us lead us to the one who will. The command to sing leads, leads us to Christ with joy to praise him and to follow him. You know, how kind of God to command such a wonderful thing. We, are, we sing because we are created to. We sing because we're commanded to. And we sing because the gospel of Christ compels us to sing. It is what we do. God's love for us inspires our response to love for him and calls forth songs of joy from our lips. Compelled. What is such a strong word and convicting word. You know, Paul used it when defending his reasons for being so passionate about presenting an unblemished gospel to the church in Corinth. In 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15, it says, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and that therefore all died and that he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Our motivation to sing comes from so much more than ourselves, our likes, our comfort levels, our musical tastes and preferences. It is driven by the one who died and was raised again. It was driven by a heartfelt desire to convey gospel truth to those, to those who already know it and to, who need to be refreshed and renewed by it. And it communicates it to those who, are, who don't yet know but might be drawn to Christ through seeing and hearing people who clearly mean it because of the way they sing about it. Worship comes as a response to revelation. Praise is prompted by, compelled by the revelation of something glorious. And the gospel is the revelation of the most glorious truth in history. Jesus came that we might know him for the truth will set you free. You, you, we were slaves to sin while we chose to sin. Sin was also our master, but God's son died for our sin and, and rose to give us new life. So, so if the son sets you free, then you are free indeed. The, the gospel declares that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So that now, we know that since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God through him? The gospel is an eternal, is a, sorry, the gospel is a declaration of eternal freedom. It is a revelation that compels to respond and the part of our response will be to sing. It doesn't take long for a Christian to know the sense of shame and frustration over sin. 
And then we remember when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of my guilt within, or would I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin? Because a sinless Savior died, my soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Christ has broken every sin that was tied around you that you couldn't even see until you opened your eyes. The chains of pride, of selfishness, of broken desires, of broken relationships, all shattered by his death. And you were not just freed for, from something, you was freed for something. To glorify him, to live the life God designed you to live, to know life in all of its fullness. I sing because I am free to run from all that tore me apart and I'm free to run to all that makes me whole again. The spirit you receive does not make you a slave so that you will live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Romans 8, 15. If I know that this is true on me, then in my heart as well as my head, I am going to open my mouth and I am going to declare it out loud. The truth is that we praise what we love. And the Bible tells us to sing God's praises. C.S. Lewis writes, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise does not mainly express what completes the enjoyment. In marriage, in family, in our friendships, we quickly discover that the joy of something is only half full until we're able to tell someone about it. It goes against our grain to how God created our humanity to keep from yeah, to keep from praising something that is praiseworthy, to keep quiet about what we're pleased with. Since God is the most worthy of our praise, above all things, since he is the most deserving of our love, above all other people, we will not only respond by knowing we should praise him, but by feeling we cannot help but praise him. For it is our joy to do so as well, as our duty. And singing is one of the greatest ways we have to complete the enjoyment of all God has done for us and more for who he is. He put a song in my mind, in my mouth. His love is ever bringing. How can I keep from singing his praises? Throughout the unfolding story of scripture, we can see this revelation prompt response to singing praise. We don't have time this morning to go through every example, but I want us to consider a few. Um, so it will help stir our hearts to the importance of out and the outright joy of singing together. And the first one, and the first stated song recorded in scripture 
is found in Exodus 15. And it is a song of praise and thanksgiving sung by Moses and the Israelites on the eastern shore of the Red Sea after the Lord had brought them safely out of Egypt. It was an extraordinary rescue and it involved the most powerful signs and wonders and it destroyed the pursuing Egyptian army and it led people to safety. And what was the first act of the newly saved people of God? They sang. I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider has been thrown into the sea. They were celebrating a rescue and a victory. They go on to sing, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God, I will exalt him. You know, Moses and Miriam helped teach and lead the Israelites, calling them to sing. The fact that they sang showed that their response was genuine, heartfelt, and appropriately emotional. What Israel did on that first day was set up a pattern of singing in response to the saving work of God. A response that firstly recalled what God has done, but equally a response that allows the singer to express godly emotions, emotions that are stirred when we receive and remember God's saving grace. You know, mirrored in this story is the gospel story of our rescue through Christ. And so we follow the lead of Moses and Miriam as we make him and his death and resurrection the center theme of our singing. We stand on our own eastern shore with our enemies defeated and death destroyed. And we have been saved, so we are to sing and rejoice and to celebrate. Generations later, Deborah and the commander of Israel, fighting men, Barak, delivers a song to commemorate a stunning military reversal that freed God's people from 20 years of oppression from a Canaanite warlord, which is recorded in Judges 5. The main focus of the song and subject of the song is, of course, God. He is the true victor. From the outset, it is clear that the real source of the song's emotional energy. In verse 2, Deborah and Barak command, bless the Lord. For the Lord. To the Lord I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord the God of Israel. They go on to sing in verse 3. There is nothing, there was nothing indescribable about how they felt. For 31 song-filled magnificent verses, they explicitly put into words exactly what happened and how they now feel. One of the most striking lessons of this remarkable song is how it relates in considerable detail the triumphs of God who works salvation for his people and brings a just judgment on his enemies. The first verse calls on the people to praise the Lord for the victory he has won. This sets an agenda for the rest of the song. While the ballad 
describes the various contributions of the participants in battle explicitly. All that has been accomplished is the work of the Lord. Again and again, the songs of scripture don't just invite us to praise the Lord, but they give us a mountain of reasons why we should. 10,000 reasons for my heart to find is often the words that we sing on a Sunday morning. In this example, singing turned the aftermath into a community event. Singing completed the victory. So moving on the scriptures, through the scriptures, the people sang when the Ark of Covenant had been uh, recovered from the Philistines when it was brought back to Jerusalem when David where David had prepared a special place for it. We read in 1 Chronicles 15 that David appointed singers and musicians to lead the people, including the king, to raise a shout of joy. What is clear from this is that the presence of God in the midst of his people is a joyful event. Therefore, every time we meet as believers, it should be a joyful event. A couple of chapters down the line, we see Israel singing again in 2 Chronicles 20. And yeah, they sang at the head of the army, giving thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. As Jehoshaphat led them into battle against a correlation of hostile nations. I wouldn't like to be at the front of that line, <laughs> in front of the battlefield. Um, but they didn't put their mightiest men in front. They sent out musicians and singers singing God's praises to win the battle. And in the same way, we sing because it's part of our armour for this battle in this life and the means of celebrating the victory in Christ. And in Christ, we always have the victory. Continuing through scriptures, we come to the Psalms. And these, these, these are songs that call us to sing. On, honest, heartfelt, in desperation, in happiness. They teach us that since we are always saved, we, always have, we are always able to sing. Praise the Lord, all nations. Glorify him, all people. Psalm 117, verse 1. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Psalm 96 verse 2. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell about his wonderful works. Psalm 105 verse 2. Throughout the main songbook of the Bible, the Psalms, there is a regular pattern of revelation and response. Let's take Psalm, uh, Psalm 40 for example. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mare. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a, first, a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. The psalmist first looks to God to reveal to, and asks God to reveal himself. God hears, he lifts him up, gives him a firm place to stand and then he puts a hymn of praise in his mouth. Here's another one, Psalm 30. How abundant 
are the good things that you have stored on those who fear you, that you bestow in the sights of all, who take refuge in you. In, in the shelter of your presence, you hide them. You keep them safe in the dwelling of, from accusing tongues. Praise be to God. For he has shown me the wonders of his love when I was in a city under siege. Here we have King David, the psalmist, singing of how he saw the goodness of the Lord in troubled times and then responded to him with praise. Meditating on who God is and all that he does triggers an authentic response to praise God from all of our hearts and moves us to sing. So quickly then, because time is running out <laughs> and there's a, we're still in the Old Testament, but as we move to the songs of the prophets, the Israelites sang in Ezra's day when the foundations of the new temple was completed by the returning exiles. And as we will see in a couple of months, in, Jeremiah, in Nehemiah 12, they sang when the walls were fully rebuilt around Jerusalem. You know, they knew that it was God who brought them back from exile, who had restored their hopes and promised them a future blessing. So they sang. Singing together marked both the rhythm of their daily life and special occasions. The prophets sang because of the salvation they had seen. But not only that, they sang because of the salvation they had foreseen. They told people to sing because they knew what was coming. The Messiah who would restore God's kingdom and his people. Be joyful, rejoice together you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. Isaiah 52 verse 9. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord for he rescues the life of the needy from the hands of evil people. Jeremiah 20, verse 13. Sing aloud, O daughters of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all of your heart. Zephaniah 3, 14. There's no wonder why Paul, in his letters to the Ephesians and letters to the Colossians, spoke about the importance of singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs together. You know, we join with the prophets by singing about what they look forward to and what we look back to, the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. For no matter how many promises the Lord has made, they are yes in Christ and through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. Mary sang in Luke 1 when she found out she was to bear the Messiah. M Mary knew that God's son was about to give, well, that, sorry, Mary knew that the son God was about to give her was to bring blessing to the whole world. Both Mary's song in Luke 1 and Hannah's song in 1 Samuel 2 begins by magnifying God. Both songs rejoice in God's holiness. Both songs celebrate in a grace re reversal of how God 
brings down the mighty from their thrones and lifts up the lonely. Both songs are personal testimonies to God's kindness and mercy. Our salvation enables joy and compels us to sing even when circumstances are dead set against us. This is the wonder of gospel singing, since nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Romans 8. Nothing needs or can or should stop us from singing. The early church was a singing church, even in the midst of the most difficult of circumstances. You know, we find Paul, uh, sorry, we find Paul and Silas detained in a Philippian prison, facing a very uncertain future, likely death. But who could be heard at midnight in Acts 16, praying and pray and singing hymns to God? It strengthened them. It witnessed to the jailer who had obviously heard the singing and witnessed the earthquake God sent. And he asked the apostles, Sir, what must I do to be saved? They clearly had not been singing quietly under their breaths. You know, salvation songs are to be sung in any and every season of life. We shouldn't, need to be so, we shouldn't need to be told to sing. Singing gives voice to the heart that deeply knows the gospel of grace. It overflows from a heart that is captivated by the gospel. In as many voices that join together to sing, there is a many hearts that are called to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. No matter how you feel, no matter how good or a bad week you've had, you can lift your eyes to Jesus with relief that he has washed you and cleansed you and that so you can sing wherever your life is at or whatever you are facing. And finally, we come to the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation. And it paints him the most breathtaking, heaven-sent picture of angels and saints and indeed all of creation singing to the one upon the throne. Ephesians 15 describes the saints as they held harps given to them by God and they sang of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. The song of salvation the Israelites sang on the eastern shore of the Red Sea and the songs that we sing as we gather as a group of believers and that all of God's people throughout the ages will one day join together in his new creation will sing. Great and marvellous are your deeds Lord God Almighty the just and true are your ways. King of the nations who will feel you lord and bring your glory to your name for you alone are holy all nations will come and worship before you for your righteous acts have been revealed revelations 15 verses 3 to 4 we will spend our eternity singing the gospel compels us to sing and we are a people who, as we reflect on the gospel, cannot help to sing. We do not sing because we have to. We sing 
because of the one we love. If the band would like to come up. I will finish by saying, we sing because we are created to, is what we are made for. We sing because we are commanded to, is what we have been told. And we sing because the gospel of Christ compels us to, it is what we do. When we sing great truths, great things happen. And Christ-filled, spirit-prompted singing will have a, a ripple effect, not only changing our own hearts and minds, but our families, our children's, and the world. So let's stand and let's proclaim this as we sing, how can I keep from singing your praise? And as we do so, uh, we're going to take their collection as well. <laughs>